Hello and welcome to the latest Common Had a Dream podcast. This is podcast number 21 for us, which is pretty amazing, actually. Yeah, almost a year of us talking absolute nonsense. <laughs> um, as always, I'm here with Ruth. Hello. Um, we're going to talk a little bit today about the Ireland and Denmark games. We're going to do a little bit of chat on the uh, Wales women's campaign overall. We're going to speak to Hales from Fee Wales as well about a few kind of unsavoury things uh, that happened in and around the Denmark game that we thought were kind of worthy of conversation. Um, a little bit of chat at the end as well on, on the Welsh clubs. We'll start though in a fairly positive place, which is Wales against Ireland. Um, we had four great goals, great build-up play, um, and my big kind of takeaway from that game again in in isolation is that this is a sign that Giggs is doing something to improve our attacking play, and it's working. It worked against that opposition. Yeah, I'll just to say in isolation. In isolation. Yeah, no, I mean I can't disagree with that. And as we said at the time, it's the most fun I've had watching Wales play for. Over two years, probably, if you think about it. Uh, So on that basis, it was just a lovely evening. Um, I thought the fact that we actually played adventurous, kind of dynamic... Basically, he gave the the lads their heads and they they went for it. And I think that's all positive. You know, there's been lots of talk about the specifics of the game, Ampadu's performance in particular. Uh, But... I, I like the high press. I like the fact that we generally had some width. You know, overall, we we looked like a team that was playing proper football. Yeah. Uh, I think whether it's really solving our problems up front. I mean, the, the way I look at it is that we, we're taking away that they are, you know, they weren't very good. But equally, as I said at the time, there's still, a, you know, a decent portion of those players playing at a high level Mm -hmm. you know not necessarily the highest level like Gareth Bale um, but still a high level the thing I think is you're right Ireland weren't great China weren't great those are the two teams we've kind of put away do you think we would have beaten Ireland 4-1 or China 6-0 under Chris Coleman no and I don't mean that as a criticism to Chris Coleman. That was, we played in a much more um, controlled, I think. Yeah. Maybe that's the right word. Yeah. Much more controlled way. Whereas I think against these sides, Giggs is kind of letting them have license to roam and basically go and show everyone what you're capable of. So I do think in that sense, whilst I think you're right, the opposition needs to be taken into account. There's also a part of me that thinks... With, that is still a step forward from where we were. Yeah, I don't disagree. The main positive for me, sort of looking at it with a you know a little bit of a gap, was if you think about the the players on our side that probably played above our expectations was all the youngsters. I mean, we all know Ampadu's great, but yeah. he was particularly good that night. But Brooks played well, Lawrence played well, Roberts played very well, yeah. Meppen played very well. The it actually got me thinking about our more regular players, the Bale, Ramsey, Allen. You know, when did they actually have a stellar game for us? Yeah. The closest we got to that was probably the first 20 minutes of the Ireland game before Allen got his concussion. He was running the show early on, yeah, very early on. Yeah, I know what you mean. But it did get me thinking, actually, about 
the, the sort of relationship between the established players and the young players. Because they, I, I were, raised, saying, they yeah. were raising their game on the day and I'm not sure that the established players are I, necessarily doing that. I, th- I know what you're saying. I think that was a bit harsh. Purely because Gareth Bale's natural level is so good. Aaron Ramsey's natural level is so good that I don't think they need to, to do that. It's, it's ironic, I think, that we say that when Aaron Ramsey scored a brilliant goal, one touch, yeah. beat the keeper at the inside post. Gareth Bale's... Um, if I tried to take that ball down on no, my no, chest, I don't I'd still be going with, I don't now. disagree with you on that. And then he put it in the top corner. And I feel like Bale and Ramsey in that game didn't need to go up a gear. And I, don't, I, I can't disagree with that. It just got me thinking about the sort of window since that trio have really, one of that trio have really taken the game by the scruff and done something with it. I mean, if you think about how we qualified for the Euros and how we played in the Euros, we were relying on that. No, and that true. hasn't happened more recently. And I'm not saying that's necessarily a good or a bad thing. I think if we're getting consistently good performances across the field, that might yeah. actually be a healthier position. No, I but agree. But it just got me thinking about it. That's a good point. I'm actually, that's really got me going now. Mm-hmm. Um, I would also maybe argue a little bit that it's as much before, in, especially like when we're the qualifying games, for example, that Cyprus away game is always the one that sticks out in my mind. Mm-hmm. We needed Bale to do something yeah. that day. So as a consequence, he did, and we all went, wow, get in there. Whereas against Ireland, he still did that. But he didn't need to mm-hmm. that day because I think the other people around him have improved. The flip side of that, and I will probably come to the Denmark game later, is that I do think he was a bit isolated against mm-hmm. Denmark. But it, equally, I'm not entirely sure that was his fault. Anyway, well, we will come to that. Um, the big thing from a footballing perspective, I thought, was you talked about the high press, is that the way we passed and moved the ball, I thought was fabulous. Yeah, it was fabulous. Um, and it was, at times, you know, we were looking at each other like, I remember there was one Connor Roberts got on the end of a cross. And I was just like, what the hell are you doing there, mate? But it had just worked. Yeah, yeah. Um, it was great to see. It really was great to see. I mean, you've talked about the pressing. Um, you've also mentioned the young players there. It was great to see them getting game time. Were you a little bit surprised to an extent by the kind of the, the big, bold decisions? Um, that were made by Giggs in terms of selection, dropping Gunter probably being the most notable one. Yes and no. I think if if Gunter hadn't played in either game, then that would have been a real talking point. I I wonder whether Giggs went in thinking, well, if I'm going to push the boat out in any of these upcoming games, out of these six, this is the one where I can be a bit experimental. I know what you're saying. You know, you're probably going to try and put out as good a team as we can manage against Spain. Albania may end up being more of a B team yeah, if, we'll we, if we go if we've got the Danes. You know, we'd have played the, the Danes the week. Yeah. The, I think it's I think it's the weekend, and then we play Albania yeah. in the week. Um, so maybe looking at the six games, he was thinking, okay, well, if we're going to really push the boat out with the young lads, this is the game to do it. So if he was going to drop guns, perhaps it was going to be in that That was game. the best time to do it, I guess. Um, I was a bit surprised to see Ash, but then 
when he didn't then play in Den- the Denmark game, it kind of made it more made sense, sense as well. Yeah, that's fair. Um, so I'm not sure there was perhaps as much... Wasn't necessarily as bold a decision mm. in the first I, th- I was actually more surprised not to see Wilson involved at all, not to see Woodburn involved at all, perhaps. I, I, I thought the Woodburn one made more sense when I saw that it'd been put back into the Denmark squad, mm-hmm. but then subsequently nothing, nothing happened. Nothing happened, yeah. Um, no, I know what you're saying. Um, I think Ash, I've long kind of... I think critical is the wrong word, but I've long since questioned his involvement. Mm-hmm. And, I've, and I didn't see anything against Ireland which would make me change my mind. I think he's a very valuable squad player. Yeah. And I, in the aftermath of the Ireland performance where we were giddy, I drank a lot of beers and went into town to meet Joy. And my mate O's, who I hope is listening, I did promise I would give you a name check, O's, um, sent me a very long voice message talking about the game and I'm not going to try and steal this point as my own simply pass it on as his which is valid which I thought was Ash can have a very important role as a captain without actually being on the pitch I think that's genuine and I think he would actually add more value to that squad as a non-playing captain so to speak because we have got captains you know, in every position, Bale is capable of doing that. You know, Ampadu is just a natural leader. Hennessy commands what goes on around him. I mean, you could almost even, if you, you know, if you, if if that is the main quality you want from Ash, that leadership, you're almost better better off getting him as a coach, even mm-hmm. just for Wales games, um, and kind of being part of the squad in that sense. But I thought it was a great point made by uh, O's. Thank you, O's, and. When it comes to Ash, I think that's how I feel we should phase him out, is, yeah. is probably and the I, right word. I think, in some respects, I think the fact that he wasn't in the 25 for Denmark is a kind of sign of moving in that direction, isn't it? The, I, 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 I agree with you. I think there's a role to be even the kind of captain of that back line you know, a pseudo coach for that back line. I think there's merit in his involvement yeah. in that alone. Particularly you've got players as young as Mepham and um Lockyer Lockyer and and Ampadu involved in that going forward. Bit of mature experience isn't I think a bad so. thing. I think so. Yeah. Um mention of Ampadu there, I thought he was obviously outstanding, that kind of goes without saying. Um range of passing, his tackling, his mobility, his movement off the ball to get into places to receive the ball and quickly move it on. Um, did a lot of covering for people, I noticed, as well. When Roberts, for example, Connor Roberts pushed on to the right-hand side, he dropped into those areas sometimes. He was picking up the ball at right-back when Roberts was still kind of tracking around. Um, was there anyone else from that who you thought, I was really impressed by them today? Of the younger generation. I actually thought they all played well in fairness, but I'd, I'd probably pick out Brooks, which is, in some respects, is why I was surprised he didn't play them play on the Sunday. But I would probably just put his performance above Lawrence and Meppen and Roberts. I thought Lawrence played very well, but he's he's just got that slight bit more experience. That So I wasn't thinking of him as quite one of the young lads in the same way as, yeah. as Brooks, for example. But equally, I thought Roberts had a great game. Meppen was solid. 
both games. Yeah, I, I think Mepham's a very good player. I'm, again, certainly not being critical. I, I didn't think he... Personally, I don't think he shone in either game. He was decent. Mm-hmm. I don't think he had much to do in the first game, so I couldn't kind of judge him. And in the second game, it was sort of the opposite. They had quite a lot to do, and a lot of the problems that they had to solve and face weren't necessarily their own doing. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, again, I, I found it difficult to judge him. I didn't think he shone. But again, not I'm not saying he had played badly. I just didn't think he had... Huge, you know, each game were very different. Was very different. Connor Roberts was the one for me. I thought his performance against Ireland was just magnificent. The way he bombed on, genuine attacking threat from fullback. As much as I love Gunter, he's got the pace that Gunter mm-hmm. hasn't got, um, and he, as a consequence of, of his youthful exuberance, he did you know manage to leave a few holes at the back from time to time, which is fine because Ireland were crap. But I thought. He was very good, and we've talked in the past about people who are kind of wrestling jerseys off someone to deserve their start. As great as Brooks and Lawrence, Wilson, Woodburn, etc., there's no one to take that spot from at the minute. We're kind of trying to pick the best mm-hmm. two from four. Whereas he just got to rip that shirt off Chris Gunter's back. And I thought, I came away from that game thinking, he's actually got yeah. one hand on it, yeah, in a way. I wouldn't necessarily start him every time. No, but he made a case, didn't oh, he? Absolutely. Yeah. And uh, we sat here and just laughed when he scored. After Gunter playing however many 80-something games <laughs> and as an Adam Smith <laughs> and Roberts gets his first... I, I didn't realise either. That was his first senior goal. Yeah, yeah. I, re- I saw Not the coverage of that afterwards. international yes. senior goal. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely incredible. Massively enjoyed that. Um and the other one I was really impressed with, probably should have done a bit better with his chance on goal, was Tyler Roberts. Yeah, he played well in the, what, 20 minutes or so he was on. He was very mobile, yeah. um, got around a lot, seemed to link up well with mm-hmm. the people around him. Yeah. I'm just desperately trying to search for a message that we uh, received the other day, which was, he scored two goals the other night mm-hmm. uh, in the in the championship as they beat Preston 3-0. And we got a, a message from uh, Tyler75 on Twitter, who is a, a Leeds fan and, and messages us regularly, um, and said that his first, glass, first goal was pure class and overall performance was really good, particularly his movement. Preston couldn't keep track of him. Um, I've long said that he's someone I think is that sort of centre-forward we've needed, and it's great to see him get a start for us, but also you know, hear reports from other people that he's really... Kind of, yeah. I mean, he hasn't played that much for Leeds, but hopefully, that's a sign that he's going to get some more minutes, yeah, with I think them so. and, and grow into the season. And then, maybe, you know, maybe, maybe by this time next year, we're talking about someone that, that's got a reasonable amount of championship experience yeah. under their belt. And, and uh, especially when the qualifiers, you know, start, yeah. we're still a good few months away from yeah. that. A good few months of genuine championship experience could really force him into the reckoning. Because I thought my final thing on, on the old versus new sort of debate in in the Ireland game was Sam Vokes must be scratching his head a little bit now because I don't think he's going to get much it depends really doesn't time. it it depends what you're looking at you can imagine some teams where a, like an old fashioned bruising centre forward might be the right person to I, have up there you know less guile and more yeah, just kind of meat holding to him. the ball up um, so but equally 
if we're moving Bale as well into that pseudo striker yeah. role, which I think is going to come as he ages. Yeah. Pseudo is a word you don't often hear on our podcast. <laughs> you can tell we've not only we've only had one beer. Sorry, carry on. Um, and I th- so I think Bale might end up more in that role anyway. Yeah. We can talk about that a bit, bit, bit more with we'll relation to the Denmark, Denmark game, I suppose. But that's the thing I will say as a as a small bridge to the Denmark game is. That was a game where I would have expected a battering ram mm-hmm. type centre forward to come on, and he picked yeah, Roberts yeah. to come on again, which tells me a lot about his true his, true. his thought process, I yeah. guess, when it when it's looked at him. As the sort of end to our island chat, uh, we thought we'd introduce a conversation with Hales we've had, where we talked to her about her role at the Wales England women's game, but also a few thoughts as a little bridge for us onto the Denmark game, and a few negative things that happened. So here is our quick chat with Hales. Okay, so we're here with Hales from Fee Wales. We just thought we'd ask uh, a few different questions about what's happened uh, with the women's game against England, how that was for her, but also a few things that happened uh, when she went on holiday to Denmark. Okay. So, <laughs> hi Hales. Hi, are uh, you okay? Yeah, we're doing grand, thank you. You? Yeah, great, thank you. So, Hales, what I wanted to ask about first was just your overall impressions of the, of the women's campaign and, and the qualifiers. It obviously was a disappointing end to the campaign, um, but I think we have to look at it in the wider picture, really. The impact that that squads have had on the game in Wales has been phenomenal. Um, and the only way is up from here, really. Hopefully we'll be able to stick, stick the uh, girls together for the next campaign, and I think they will do. I know I've certainly spoken to one senior member who said she's not going anywhere. Um, which is great news. Um, when we, when, we, when so, we finish recording this, you'll have to tell us who that is. Yeah, I will do. I will do. Um, but yeah, no, it's really... It, it was disappointing. It was gutting. I mean, it's just such a cruel competition to try and qualify for that, you know, it's just tough. But with the Euros, there'll be more places available. Not that that should be an excuse, but, you know... We have to look in perspective as where we are in world standings. Um, the only way is up. That's great. I think I think the whole nation kind of agrees with that, doesn't it? We'd love to see the girls stay together and, and push forward yeah. into the Euros from here. I wanted to ask Definitely. particularly, though, about that evening at Rodney Parade. Obviously, you were involved with your store for Fee Wales. Yes. And there was, the, a, was like a proper fan zone for the first time for a women's game. I was wondering what, what you just made of that event and the, and the efforts of the FAW. Oh, you know what? The whole place was just buzzing. It was fantastic. They had so much going on down there. It was all put together by a girl called Katie from the FAW Trust, who, when I met her on the day, she'd only started like two months beforehand. It was her baby. <laughs> it was just like, yes, <laughs> you can say more of these. <laughs> But no, it was great. I mean, the first hour was quite quiet. It was like, oh, let's see how this is going to go. And then it just went vroom and it was rammed and there were girls everywhere. It was, there were balls flying about. It was just brilliant. And it was such a lovely atmosphere. What was hilarious was because of where it was, the team coaches had to come down the side of the field where all this was going on Mm -hmm. to get into the stadium. Now, the England coach came down, and then it disappeared. 
<laughs> and then it came back about five minutes later with no players on it whatsoever. <laughs> it's like they'd obviously thought, nah, we're not we're not getting involved with this. <laughs> we'll walk round. And then the Welsh team coach pulled up about ten minutes after that, and the girls just walked through the crowds. Mm-hmm. It was lovely. It was great, and everyone was just bouncing. Yeah, and the whole atmosphere inside of the grounds as well. I mean, I certainly know myself and the guys I was sat with didn't really shut up for the entire 90 minutes. But no, it was great. It was just a shame about the result, really. Yeah, but I, I think, we, like you're saying, we've we got to take the big picture stuff, haven't we? And it's, it feels yeah, like a huge absolutely. step forward. Um, I just wanted to say that, you're, that I, I saw the pictures of the players walking through uh, the fans and everything. Yeah. And at the end of every match, there's always been this thing where they've stayed on the pitch and taken photos and signed autographs. Yeah. I mean, that's such a massive and they were thing to engage it. people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think you see in the men's game that that doesn't really ever happen. Um, no. And, and I think for, especially at the end of the campaign, and to, for everyone to feel like a genuine part of it and to felt that they've been involved. As, yeah. As, you know, of all the things we've talked about, the positive impact and everything, something like that, yeah. you know, does... 10 times more than anything else anyone else can ever do when you can stand and chat with your heroes and stuff. And I thought... Oh, absolutely. And I had, a, I had a really nice chat with Laura O'Sullivan at the end of the game, who's just a star. It seems to be a thing now. I just have a chat with her at the end of the game. <laughs> sure enough. And brilliantly, Seren was right next to me at that point. Right. So Seren had a nice little chat as well. Oh, that's great. Um, yeah. And, and but, I think the day prior as well was important, wasn't it? Hales with the, yeah. the the different clubs oh, going honestly. to the training day and and the amount of time that the players gave some of those kids at that event was amazing actually yeah yeah definitely and I I've written a piece for the next fanzine mm-hmm. of international Wales and I spoke to Owen at the FAW just to confirm the numbers that were at that training event mm-hmm. and he said they gave out 250 goodie bags to kids and there were about 50 adults there so that's 300 people there now that's at a training a open training mm-hmm. session that's amazing. and if you look at the last match of the last qualifying campaign which was at Rodney Parade I think there was about six seven hundred people there yeah that's a hell of a way to go in a couple of years yeah, that's amazing. I, I just hope the girls really can can appreciate it because sometimes when you live in something, it's hard to to see its impact, isn't it? So I hope I hope yeah. now a couple of weeks later that they're, they're understanding that. Yeah, yeah. I th- I think they get it. Yeah, that's great. Right, moving on. Perhaps to something that's yeah. not so welcome. Well, certainly not so welcome. Um, when we when we chatted last autumn. Hales, one of the things you happened to mention yeah. was a sign in some of the international men's games of a club rivalry coming back, you know, something that had been yeah. stamped out, really. Um, and just to echo that sort of negative theme, and I don't want to overstate this because 99% of the folks heading to Denmark were no trouble whatsoever. So I think yeah. we've also got to be careful. We have we... to make it clear this is a minority. Yeah, yeah exactly. It is, a, it is a minority. It is a minority. But there's been, you know, different things that we've heard about flags being stolen, not by yeah. opposition, but by other other Wales fans. Beers being thrown yeah. from one tier down yeah. onto the lower tier. Yeah. I ended up with a load down the back of my leg. Really? Yeah. You know some some sexist remarks that we've heard about as well from yourself and from Mia yeah. um, through Twitter. So really, 
it's it's more a question from me as to like what you actually experienced and what your what your feelings are. There, there are a lot of. I mean, we all like a drink. Mm-hmm. Let's let's make no bones about that for a start. We all like to go away with Wales, have a good drink, have a good laugh. But there was there seemed to be a very small minority that would just go in that step too far. Um, and like there was a guy in front of us at the game, um, and we, we barely saw him for the entire game. And then about half an hour before the end. He turns up on his own now with three pints for himself, swaying all over the place, spilling beer left, right and centre. We were in the lower tier, so we did get like beer thrown over us at, at the end of the game, which was a shame. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> you just don't... I mean, I went to Milan in uh, that game. Yes. <laughs> that was my first ever away game. And we got pelted with absolutely everything. And it was just like, oh, come on now. Yeah. Like, what are you doing? What are you playing at? Um, I know I've spoken to one of my friends who had to physically stop someone from throwing a bike into the canal. Ugh. Bloody hell. Which is, yeah. And, and then he got a load of mouth off this guy's mates. And it's like, just come on, people. Honestly, there, there just seems to be a really small stag party mentality. And there were sexist comments. I mean, I've had sexist comments at Wales games before, but not regular, like, mm-hmm. nowhere near regular. I had a couple of comments when I was out in France for the Euros. Other than that, it's been, like, years and years. Um, but people that I know, uh, Nia, who won your last competition, yeah, I, I bumped into her in the hotel. She was staying in the same hotel as I was, and her and her brother came and sat with us. Um, she was saying about how she'd won the competition. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, yeah, that was my T-shirt. And then it was like, oh, my God, <laughs> which was excited for the two of us. But she said just after I'd gone up to bed, a load of guys had come in and she was getting sexist comments off them. And other people that I know really well who've been going to Wales away for decades and they've been getting comments like women shouldn't be on Wales away trips. I'm sorry. We should be, and we will be, and we're not going anywhere. It's funny you should say because I saw a, a thing on Twitter, and I wish I could remember names, yeah. but there's a group of five or six girls who, who went away together, go away to watch the Wales games all the time. Yeah. And I think that was one of their comments, that someone said to them, Wales away isn't for yeah. women. And you, yeah. and you just think, oh, come on, don't be a yeah. You know, there's just no need for that sort of thing. And like we keep reiterating, it is a minority but yeah, it, it is it, a minority, and, and but I think you just feel like it needs to be nipped in the bud now absolutely. and stamped out. And if people see or hear their mates making these comments and they don't stand up to them and go, whoa, whoa, that's not on, they're complicit as far as I'm concerned. They need to be having the guts to turn around and go to their mates and go, no, that's out of order. You don't do that. No, I totally agree. I mean, it's supposed to be together stronger for crying out loud. No, I agree. That's, I mean, Dave and I, we've actually talked about this a lot, haven't we, in the sense of should we be bringing it up because it is such a minority. But I think you're, I think yeah. you're, you're exactly right, Hells. If, if a light isn't shone on it while it's a minority, then it becomes acceptable. And you've got... Yeah, and so, the more it's acceptable, the bigger it grows. Yeah, yeah. So I think there is an onus on 
folks, you know, to, in inverted commas, report things so that there isn't a naivety about what's happening as well, you know, that there's a realism yeah. about this and, and that there are things here that are unacceptable and we've got to address it. We can't pretend it isn't happening just because it's a smaller number of people. It just shouldn't be happening full stop. No, it shouldn't be. And I think it takes away a lot of for God's sake. It, 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 it takes away a lot from what amazing stuff has been happening with the women's game, oh, with, with the men's game. The you know the inclusivity of things. You know the the positives. Right, we every time I feel we do a podcast, we talk about how great the FAW have been, mm-hmm. yeah. and you know, and the positive impact it's had on so many people. And then you go away from that, and all you, as you say, a few clowns say the wrong thing, and all of a sudden everyone thinks, "Oh, can I be asked with this?" You know, it, it's just yeah. it's, it's not the right message to be sending at all, really. No, it's not. Not at all. But, you know, maybe that very small minority now will skint from Denmark. Um, so we won't Albania. see them in Dublin and Albania. <laughs> <laughs> we can hope. <laughs> exactly. Thank you very much for your time, Hales. We very much appreciate it. That's all right. Pleasure. All right. Thanks, Hales. So there we are. That was Hales talking about a few kind of unsavoury events that happened at the Denmark game which I think is not what Wales away is is all about and hopefully that's the the kind of first and last we'll hear of the stag do mentality uh, as we as we've mentioned there um on to the game itself um one of my big things in a in a bridge from Ireland to Denmark is how we kind of translate that exciting brand of football to playing against other teams that are of a of a high standard um and whilst Denmark are a good side, you know, I think they're top 10 in the world, and I think they're ninth or 10th in the world, I do think they're very, very similar to us in that they've got a lot of solid, strong, consistent players with a sprinkle and a stardust in players like Ericsson, um, amongst others. So I, I don't want to spend kind of too much time talking about the step up in opposition because whilst it was there, I, I see Denmark as very, as very even to us, a bit more consistent, but very even to us. How do you think we can translate and transfer that sort of quality free-flowing football from beating heavily teams like Ireland to to quality teams like Denmark? I think it might just be a time thing. Like, we looked naive, they looked astute. Mm. And I think part of that is just their maturity as a team. Not that we can't play as a team, but just that kind of nounce that they had, the knowing what they were good at, knowing what they were doing, it still felt like we were experimenting. You made the point on our matchday pod as well that obviously they've been with their manager a long time. Yes, yeah. And also, I mean, like I said, it looked like we were experimenting. The whole Roberts-Chris Gunter kind of situation feels like it was an experiment in a game which, if you're treating it as a qualifier was perhaps not the time to experiment. If you're treating it, and I wonder where the gigs is, actually, if you're treating this this autumn run of six games as actually competitive games that are going to get you ready for the Euro qualifiers and not really thinking of them as kind of backdoor. Yeah, there's a margin for error. Exactly. You know, so then there may be some merit in, in, in that approach. But I think... We started both halves pretty well, actually, when you look at it. We we, we sort of lost our way at, at, at each point Denmark scored. 
that the wheels came off a little bit yeah. for that for that half. So they scored in the first half. We didn't do much until half time. We regrouped. We came out better at the start of the second half. Not brilliant by any means, but we were better. Then they got the penalty and our heads dropped at that point. Yeah. So I think in terms of your original question of what do we need to do, I think part of it is we just need to grow up a bit, you know, sort of mentally. Yeah. Part of it is we've got to have a better plan B. We've got, we've got to be very clear what our plan A is for a particular game. I'm still not sure that we necessarily hit that all the time. But equally, no. we've got to be able to regroup, evaluate and, and change to something else when something's not working. I mean, you talked a lot in the previous mini pod about their overload in midfield, and we never seem to really address it. No, I, I found that a weird one, purely because we. My two big worries, I, I, I'll only mention one now, was that I can deal with them having an overload in midfield because sometimes, you know, a combination of tiredness, better players, whatever you want to say, that can happen. Yeah. But that happened for 90 minutes and we didn't address it. And the the, 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 the fact that it wasn't addressed concerns me mm-hmm. from a tactical perspective. Because we're sat in a bar a couple of beers in and we can spot that. And, you know, we were screaming for Ramsey to do a bit more. And he wasn't. And I can't decide if that's because he was tired, because he didn't want to, or because he was told not to. And I'm more inclined to think the latter. And that, that was a big concern mm-hmm. for me. Yeah, it just, we, they never seemed taxed or overworked. You know, it might have been, it might have been interesting to, to look at heart rate monitors and things for the game because they didn't really seem to break stride much. No. And yet we seem to be working hard. So it's things like that, which I think in some respects, it might only be time that can address that. Um, I do think... And I think that's an acceptable excuse, yes, by the way. Yeah, 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 yeah. I do think we've got a question... I mean, then there's the broader question about are we playing four or five at the back? I don't think Gunter and Roberts' combination is the right way to go. And on that, I think we may have seen the last of five at the back Yeah. whilst we have the players we have. I hope so. I mean, we've said for a while that I'm not a gim five at the back in and of itself... I just think when we've got so much at the other end of the field to give to give five positions at the back and hence leave yourself with, with only five across the whole of the midfield and the forwards, it doesn't serve us. Yeah, and no, I totally yeah. agree. I was looking at some I was looking at some some scores and initially I was looking at whether if we scored early and if we scored in the first half, and obviously if you score earlier in a game, you've got a better chance of the game. But yeah. I was trying to work out if, you know, should we be pressing early because we get a goal and then we hang on? And actually, it's not so much when we score, it's the fact that we score at all. If we score one goal in a game, so if you look at the, these qualifiers, the Euros, and the qualifiers for the Euros, you look at those games. If we score one goal, we've only been beaten once. I love it when you do shit like this. Yeah. The only time we've been beaten is in the England game in the Euros, where we've scored. A lot, of, a, lot of a, draw, a lot of draws, admittedly. Competitive games now, sorry. Like, I didn't, I didn't worry about um, 
the I didn't look at the Mexico game because I treated that as a friendly. Same principle. Same though. principle. But I didn't I only looked at competitive games and I left in the China Cup games because they kind of felt competitive. Yeah. Same principle. But if you go back to when the qualification started in twenty fourteen, if we've scored, we've only lost one game. That's a great stat. So we have to score. And we, I mean, like I say, admittedly, there was a lot of draws in there, particularly in the last qualifiers. True. Yeah. But we're hard to beat. Good start. Yeah. We're Good hard research. to beat. We're hard to beat. And if we get a goal, we're really hard to beat. I suppose that makes you wonder. That has proper blown my mind. <laughs> um, that, is, that makes you wonder, really. We're, we're talking about all this attacking flair and play and whatever. Yeah. It actually makes you wonder what our plan A should be. Yeah. For as good as, and I'm not suggesting, you know, we don't play the way we did because we obviously have the ability to do that, and it was great to watch it, uh, to go along with it. But do we, you know, do we need to kind of abandon that defensive solidity when it's obviously the bedrock? My only counter argument, I would guess, would be, I, I would say, sorry, is that that was based on a on a very set back four slash five, yeah. and we. We may be getting to the end of that era uh, regarding Gunter and, uh, and Ash. But we're not short of good options at the moment. No, back. no, I agree, I agree. I think yeah. that's fair. It just got me thinking about, as you were saying, what should our plan A be? Because I still feel like we're trying to find the plan A. And it, we don't need to be Brazil, I think is what I'm saying. We need to be competent. I... We need to be more like Denmark. Be more Denmark. There's a T-shirt in that. Um, <laughs> No, and I, I, I know what you're saying. I know I do know what you're saying. Mm-hmm. I think the difficult way to di- look at it, though, again in contrast to that, is that it's not very often as Wales fans we a have kind of genuine attacking options, yeah. but also, well, do you want know in fact just options in general, and it's even more rare that we have a, a, a full array. Yeah. Of exciting attacking prospects. I don't think I'm advocating for anything in particular here. And no, I'm no. certainly not advocating for us to become this lockdown defensive team. We that don't want we to be were. like Republic of Ireland, no. for example. Yeah. But it was interesting that we don't need to score much. We just need to score. We just need to score. It would have been interesting now you said that. And obviously, I know this is a ridiculous thing to say, but we had a great chance mm-hmm. at the start of the first half. The, you right think the like one that the bales sort of that kind of swept across the goal? Yeah. Is that the one you're thinking of? Yeah, that was probably about 20 minutes in. Um, yeah. Where we had a great little interplay on the right-hand side. Ball gets cut across. And I think it was Tom Lawrence who the ball kind of went straight under his foot. No? I don't know. Someone. It went under a Wales player's foot <laughs> and just kind of, kind of drifted away. It does make you think if a big part of our plan is we're trying to get one against those sort of teams away from home and see how we go. Mm-hmm. That does bring me on to my great onto my kind of big worry after that great research great stat by the way <laughs> huge fan um, which is let's say that is our plan A mm-hmm. we're trying to be hard to beat we play on the break um, and if we can't we're not allowed to play on the break we've got a certain kind of attacking threat if that doesn't work where do we go and again you talk you know I said about tactical naivety with Rambo not dropping in, whoever, you know, we're pointing the finger at for that. I would also say plan B 
from what gigs changed was still basically plan A, but with people standing in slightly different positions. Yeah, I, I don't feel like we tactically addressed what the Danes were throwing at us. We no. tried a slightly different personnel against what the Danes were throwing at us, but we didn't... Like you said, we, knew, we never really addressed that overload. We... Like, I think we just... We looked like a team in that game that was embedding a lot of new players. They looked like a team that have been playing together for a, a while. Oh, yeah. And it showed. Yeah. And it showed. Um, I think... I've also, I'm also, as a tangent, thinking about them with a kind of Machiavellian motive as to, you know, how much this business with the futsal team playing in Slovakia. They had a, they, like every other team, were forced to play a friendly and a game. But they didn't, did they? They played a game. Can I just interrupt here? Ruth has told me she's done loads of research on this. I'm coming to that. And as excited as I was about the last stat, I feel like I'm going to be blown away by this Wait, stat. Wait, we'll talk about the two-game business in a minute. But just looking at them, they got away with not having to play the friendly. Not having to travel. Not having to travel. I do think that benefited them. Mm-hmm. And I don't think it helped us, for example, that our plane had got in at half past one yeah. in the morning or whatever. Yeah. You know... Equally, if I'd have flown to Denmark and got to bed at half past one in the morning, even without beers, and then I had to go and play a game the next day, don't get me wrong, I'd be tired. Mm -hmm. But I'm also a fairly unfit, chubby man. (laughs) No, I don't. Um, I mean, I'm not saying that 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 changed the result. No, no, no. But equally, I can see them, they're a smart team. And I can see them making those circumstances work for oh, them. I, I think yeah. they did, but I, I don't think there was any... I think it would be cruel for us <laughs> to, to imply there was intent no, in that. No, that's, I, fair, I, I that's think, a fair comment. I think it was a final, you know, the final game of a World Cup qualifying group when they had to win, or the night before, the week before the playoff. Yeah. Then I think, fair cop. But I don't think for one moment... I mean, you know, the coach was in Benidorm at one point, I think, <laughs> wasn't he? So I, I don't think it... I don't think it was... I, but I, I, I do take your point. I do think it, it benefited them. Yeah. And I think at one point, you know, we talked about how great Ampadu was. Again, you said on the Matchday pod that Ampadu, at, at a point in that game, from looking like he was 27 against Ireland, looked every inch a 17-year-old yeah. against Denmark. And again, not being critical of him because he's allowed to do that because he's 17. So, you know, a lot of what we're, we're talking about here is experience and mm-hmm. a team who've played together for a while against a team who haven't. A manager who's been there for a while against a, a manager who hasn't. And he's, he's doing new things. You yeah. know, Connor Roberts playing right wing, which I thought before the match wasn't a great decision and was an even more daft one yeah. I thought, yeah. whilst the game was going on. Um, I, think, I don't think the boy played bad. No. But he, I don't, he was just out of position. Yeah, and it? it's not his fault, is it? It's, it's just made me reevaluate the the perhaps what. FAW and Ryan Giggs are seeing as the purpose of these six games. Maybe they're thinking, yes, it's a backdoor route to qualification, but actually we've got a much, statistically, a much, much better chance through the standard route. So let's get ourselves as ready as we can be for the standard route. I I, I know what you're saying. By way of slight digression... In the research that you've done, I say I've done research. This has a colossal lie. 
last week I had a massive conversation with a load of people about this sort of thing. Mm-hmm. But um, we, I, I asked a question on Twitter about the circumstances in which we could come second in our Nations our League weak, group okay. and still get into the back door. And I'm not going to go into all the permutations because, well, frankly, we'd be here forever. Yeah. But a few people who I'm desperately now searching so I can name check um, made the point that I can see the Welsh Dragon uh, here being one of them is and Philip Thomas and Sean Murphy, um, <laughs> who gave us most of the information, I think. For us to not qualify the playoffs in the Nations League would require something properly mental mm-hmm. to happen and and by that I mean most of the top tiered nations not qualifying mm-hmm. automatically yeah. for us not to get into the playoffs and when you look at that top tier with, with England and mm-hmm. Germany, France, Spain, whatever it's only Iceland and Switzerland, who traditionally you'd maybe look at and think they're going to struggle there. Iceland have Switzerland, not so much, but you think probably all but maybe Iceland mm-hmm. are just cut on their current result. They lost 6 0 um, to. Maybe it was Switzerland. Swiss- was it Switzerland they lost 6 0 to? They lost 6 0 to, to a football team. And <laughs> um, so as a consequence, they're the only team in the top tier playing to get into the playoffs now. Yes. So because they're in the top tier, even if they come bottom of their group... They might well make it. Well, in fact, they're almost certainly, because they're, assuming everyone else does, mm. they're probably going to be the only team from group from the top tier, sorry, not to qualify. So therefore, they will represent the top tier And that in the assumes that they don't do well in the their qualification group anyway. Exactly, that's saying you know, they don't qualify. They're going to be a top seed in their... Probably a top seed, maybe Possibly. borderline. Yeah, yeah. It depends on how much they tank, I suppose, doesn't it? If they do, anyway, yeah. No, your point's valid that that maybe they've looked at this. I mean, we yeah. know we've tactically looked at the news, the rankings, and the system. That's before. what I was going to say. There's someone at the FAW that is crunching these numbers, understands how to make the friendlies and the rankings work for us, and I wonder whether the consensus is, as you say, it would actually be pretty hard not. To make the playoffs, yeah. and hence what we actually do here isn't the end of the world, really, because whether you finish first or second in our mini group might we'll not be all right either way. make a huge difference to whether you get into the playoffs or not. I think probably maybe they've looked at it and thought as long as we beat Ireland in the group, yeah. one way or the other, we'll get into the playoffs. Yeah. And so, so then there's a mental switch about how you use these six games. Isn't there? That's a very valid point, which I hadn't thought of. Um, and because, to my mind, that makes the experimentation of Gunter and Roberts at least make some sense. Yeah, because at it. face value, it made it was like, what's going on here? Yeah. It's not a five; it's a four. But then you you've got such better choices for right wing midfield if that's actually what you're asking Roberts to do. That was the thing it's that I was baffled me most of all. Yeah. We've gone off on a proper tangent. Now. Sorry, <laughs> listeners. Um, we have now moved on to our second beer, which might explain <laughs> it. But we, I remember we sat down before the game and, you know, 
it was almost like we had the salt shaker playing centre-half and all this, <laughs> trying to work out what was going on. Because at one point we were even thinking maybe we were five at the back with Gunter playing a centre-half. Which we thought was odd because we had options, Lockyer, Dummer, etc. And then it turns out that Roberts is playing right wing. And when you think he's pulled Woodburn back into the squad, Wilson didn't get a minute. Mm-hmm. Is he above both of them in the it doesn't make sense, does it? Because even, even if you'd have put Brooks there after his performance against the Irish, not an ideal position, but he's probably less out of position than Roberts oh, was. Absolutely. So it didn't make sense. No. And so on that basis, I'm wondering whether they're not, the FAW and Giggs are not quite visualising these games the same way as we were. Perhaps. We were thinking, you go for it because it's a backdoor yeah. to the qualifiers. Maybe they're thinking it's a backdoor because the qualifiers, regardless. Let's make it work for us ahead of the real qualifiers. No, I think that's a very good point, um, and a, and a very fair point. And I, uh, you know, as we said, I think they've used the numbers mm. before to to in our benefit. Maybe someone's done the same thought. As long as we come second in the group, we won't lose any ranking places. Mm-hmm. We're probably going to qualify for the playoffs on the basis that no one in the top tier is going to need to do so. Um, I think it's a very fair point. Very fair point. Um, it makes me feel better, at least. Because it, <laughs> ma- it makes the somewhat strange decisions about the Denmark game at least seem purposeful. No, I, I think that's a fair And that'll point. do for me until we play Spain and we see what the hell's going on. Oh, I'm not looking forward to that. Anyway, um, to look at the game in a bit more detail, the goals that we conceded, we'll start with a pen... Because I didn't think it was a pen. I've seen it on replay. I can certainly see why the refs give it. Because it has touched his arm. Yeah. He wasn't... His arm wasn't behind his back. The way but that... He was in a natural enough position. But it know? was somewhat off his... Kind of off his torso. Yeah. Was I know it? what you're saying. It's also come I, from I about think, six feet away. I think it's one of those situations where... If it had happened... Where we'd been... The recipients of the penalty, we'd have been, yeah, handball, why not? Yeah, yeah. I think it's it's difficult to see that without the blinkers of who we're supporting. Um, it, it feels harsh, but I think if it had been the other way round, we'd have, we would have been, we'd been aggrieved it, yeah. if it hadn't gone our way. No, I well. think that's fair. Yeah. And, and, I don't think it made any difference. No, though. that's what I was going to say. It's not like it's Hennessy kept us in the game. It's not like. Yeah. Schmeichel was making saves and we were on the point of drawing level and the, the, if Hennessy hadn't I th- for me he was our man of the match yeah actually. we got well beaten didn't yeah. we? if he hadn't made those saves particularly in the last 20 minutes or so we could have gone down to three four. or four yeah. yeah so I don't think it ultimately made a decision no. I think the difference was the first one and, I, and again we talked about naivety or tiredness or whatever Alan or Ampadu has got to go to Ericsson and my my frustration from conceding the goal we've conceded is if one of their players who no one's ever heard of pops up pops up on the edge of the eighteen yard box and pops in the bottom corner of bloody hell. But come on. He's their best player by an absolute mile. He's peeled well, off happens, on the edge of the box. It? it does happen, but I just think uh, to me that was a very basic goal to concede. It was a good finish. But it was a basic goal to concede. He's not to rip the net off or take on three people. He's peeled away. No one's anywhere near him. And he's rolled into the bottom corner. But my point about it happens is, you think about watching 
Don't Take Me Home, which you do with alarming regularity. Yes, go on. There's that piece where Coleman, and I've forgotten the Slovakian player, where Be- when Bear Davis clears it off the line. Hamsik. Coleman is talking about that and says, we drilled it, we drilled it, we drilled it, and within three minutes this is what's happening. Yeah. So you can drill and drill and drill, and it's, you're going to lose him. And unfortunately, they lose. They lost him for the one ten seconds where it really made a difference. I mean, I know what you're saying, but I, I think again, it is a learning curve. I still don't. I, I totally know what you're saying. I sound like a dick now, but <laughs> I still don't think that's good enough. I, no, agree, I agree with you. And sometimes you. Cut, I think the difference with a Hamzik one. We're proper waffling. Today, <laughs> um, the difference with a Hamzik one is, I can deal with that because you're right. Don't jump in on him. Don't do that. But sometimes when someone's that good, you can they can make you feel like I've got you here. Yeah. And then they do you and they do you and they go he has done about four people there and he's come from, you know, not far off you know, his own half. No, no, I, I I don't And then think... as a consequence he's done something. Whereas this, this is what you know I don't I think is the not picking him up that I have a problem with because he's right there. I'm not saying it shouldn't have happened, but I think you can be as prepared as we were against the Slovakians in that first game. You knew the game was coming for months. You knew who you should be marking. And we still managed to get it wrong in that 10 seconds. You can get it wrong against Ericsson as well. That's what I'm saying. It's not not that people didn't know what they would do. I think my point is you can know exactly what you should be doing and you can still trip up. Yeah. And I think there's a difference between knowing what exactly you should be doing and trip up and just making a mess of it full stop. Yeah. And, not, and, and I think I think actually we probably fell somewhere between those two. I suppose he was quite well shackled but in the first half ish, especially. Yeah. So I think, I think part of that might have been, we go back to what we were saying about the Ireland game. We were impressed with Ampadu as someone who's, what small amount of football he's played has tended to be centre-back, centre-half. Playing that defensive midfield and doing it with apparent ease. And yet you put him in an environment with a step-up in class. Yeah. And like you say, he looked like someone that was new to it. And I don't think that's a criticism. No. I don't, I'm, not, you know, I'm not saying I never want to see the boy in Wales again, <laughs> in red again. I just... I guess it was just a frustrating goal to concede. And I, I think the word I used earlier was naive. Mm-hmm. I th- that's what it was. Yeah. was it naive. goes back to what I was saying earlier. I think across the board for the 90 minutes, we looked naive and they looked astute. Yeah. They looked like they genuinely knew what they were doing and how much they needed to do. And we looked like we were still trying to find ourselves. And like you say, I haven't got a problem with that per se. If we're on the route to finding ourselves. Yeah. And I think we are on the route to finding ourselves. I'm going to move us on a little bit, only yes. because I've just noticed the time. <laughs> but also because I want to hear your stat. You want to hear my stats? Okay, so... I'm proper feet up having a beer. Yeah, okay. So, you know... Well, this actually started in the, in the spring when we were discussing the fact that we were playing two games as the two competitive games in the the first window so in match day one and two we had off and Ireland have got this advantage in the second window because theirs are both at home and then Denmark 
So I wanted to look at whether there was actually any advantage or disadvantage to the teams that played two games in this window, two competitive games, versus one competitive game. So you're not looking at others just in this window just gone? Yes, I am looking just in this window. Okay, I'm excited about okay. how many pieces of paper you got. <laughs> so, I, so, weirdly, there are nine groups where there are three teams. So everybody in tier A is in three team groups. Everybody in our tier, in tier B, is in three team groups. And then weirdly, there's one C group, which happens to be Scotland's group, which is three as well. And everyone else is Everybody four. else in their tier is four, and everybody in D is four. Oh, funny. Okay, so there's nine groups with three teams. So, of those nine groups, obviously there are nine teams like us that play two games. Right. Okay, so there are 18 games... That involve teams that have played two games. Right. You following? I'm still okay, on. You're still on. Right. The other teams in those nine groups all played one game each. Right. So there are two teams, like Den- in our case, Denmark and Ireland, who've played one game each. Right. So there are also 18 teams who have played one game each. So there's 18 teams who've played a double header. No, nine teams that have played a double header. And 18 teams that have played played a single game. Right. So you're looking at the same number of games. Right. Yeah? Right. So you take the teams that have played two games each. (laughs) This is great. (laughs) Keep keep going with me. Sorry. Sorry. So you take the teams that have played two games each and you total up how many points they got. Okay? You take the teams that have played one game each and you total up how many they've got. Yeah. Now, if it was an advantage to only play one competitive game, you'd expect that their total for the 18 individual games to be bigger than the total of nine two-headers. Double-headers, yeah? right. Right? This is what really surprised me. If you total up the teams that have played two games... They've scored 32 points. Right. Which is an average per game of 1.8 points. Big fan. All right. If you total up the ones that have played a single game, right. 20 points, an average of 1.1 point. So playing two games, per game you average 1.8 points. Playing one game... Per window, sort of thing. Yeah, you average 1.1 point. So on that basis, there's an average, an advantage to playing two games, which I was genuinely not expecting. I was expecting to sit down and be saying, we've been, we've been not, we've been not because we've played two. I guess it's because you see them both as competitive games. There's less kind of squad rotation or whatever, whereas the people who are playing a one-off game are... People would have missed game time before or were thinking about the game after or could be late turning up to camp because they've only got one game. Whereas for the double header, you know, we've got to be there and then I'm going away and then we're coming back. Longer time together. That's really interesting. I, I was surprised I at dif- the differential. It'd be interesting to see what happens in the next one. But the difference between 
1.8 points and 1.1 point as the average between the two groups. I was really surprised at that. It's a small sample set, admittedly. True. Um, I think it's worth pointing out here, listeners, Ruth has provided you the two belted statistics <laughs> today. If you take nothing away from what's probably going to be a three-hour podcast, <laughs> at least take away and tell your mates those two statistics and tell them where you heard them. Um I was just surprised. I'm surprised that. And does that mean in a way that we've kind of... We might have underperformed. I think a lot of that, I'm sure there's so so many ifs and buts, which we're not going to get into because my head's already spinning. (laughs) um, Because we've effectively got 1.5. So we've fallen in the middle, effectively, haven't we? Across the two games. Yeah. We've not done as well as the average for the other. I know you're going to hate this, but I want you to do this at the end. (laughs) Of these, uh, yeah, I'm, oh, I'm going to do it. Games. I'm going to do it for for all the windows because I'm genuinely really intrigued now. Because what's interesting in this one is all of the double headers were one away game and one home game, not necessarily in that order, but everybody had one home game and one away game. So Ireland's is as a definite advantage. Then is now two at home. Well, we don't know. The statistics will prove. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I just snorted. Sorry. <laughs> uh, well, moving on. That was really interesting. It is, I, I just, didn't only because I didn't expect that. No, that work. was what really blew me because I did not expect that at all. That was great, and I enjoyed that segment. Uh, great research. <laughs> Should we talk about the teams? Let's talk about the clubs. The clubs. I hope you enjoyed that. I don't know how. I can't decide if that was really interesting and quite funny, or waffly nonsense. Uh, okay, to move on to the Welsh clubs, Cardiff, Swansea, Newport and Wrexham. Um, I want to start with Wrexham. You want to start with Wrexham? I do. You want to start with the uh, gods? I know, <laughs> only to shut you up. Um, unbelievable, to be honest, the way that they've, they've been performing recently. The smug look on Ruth's face, listeners, is um, unreal. Um, they've been fantastic. Lots of consistent performances, a solid amount of goals, very, very defensively secure. When you consider that it's a it's a manager who's, you know, new to the game as well, he's doing very, very well. What a brilliant start to the season! Yeah, I had the, I was listening to the. I'm not quite sure who they are technically, but the Wrexham radio on uh, on Saturday. Don't laugh at me like that. It was brilliant. I'm laughing because I'm sure it's not called Wrexham Radio, but I'm carry on. And I'll find the link. It, it was like, you know how Liverpool play three up front and you just think, I could listen to this all day. It was like listening to that. It was genuinely, the first half in particular, was a great game of football. Yeah, no, I, I heard it was great. I, I, I didn't see or hear mm-hmm. Wrexham Radio. <laughs> Uh, myself, but no, I, I, I was keeping track with it, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, four goals and a half is a yeah, it's a pretty yeah. solid achievement. Uh, Ebbs, was it Ebbsfleet? Ebbsfleet, yeah, on this weekend, yeah. Um, so you know, the one flaw we said with them at the start of the season might have been their lack of squad depth, and it doesn't really seem to be. I, I think I disagree with that. I mean, tight net squad. I know you t- talked to the guys from the fans, yeah. I think I might disagree because Ricketts has been making a lot of changes. Like this weekend, so good squad rotation. Good squad rotation. So the weekend prior, they played 
uh, Braintree, and that was a really nasty, hard, messy game. Yeah. And then they played Ebb's Feet on Saturday, and like, were Brazil. And I'll <laughs> <laughs> oh, let me enjoy it while I can. I will. And he made three changes between the two teams. Dropped in inverted commas because I don't think that's the word. Rotated yeah. out Von Drop, who's been like the star thus Brilliant, far. Yeah. Two of the three guys that came in scored. He'll probably rotate again for this coming weekend. He's been making three or four changes a game. Keeps everyone on their toes, doesn't it? And I think actually, rather than... I think it's a sort of proactive attempt at understanding you're going to have an attritional year. What can we do early on to buy ourselves some leeway later on? No, that's a fair point. And uh, I think if that's what he's doing, he should be commended. Because no. they're, and they're, they're winning in different ways as well, Dave. Like I said, the game against... Braintree was a hard mud Battle. slog of a game. Whereas at the weekend, they were playing some lovely football. Well, I mean, it's great to see. And, you know, they're second in the table, I think, mm-hmm. um, which is which is brilliant. And they've got a real, you know, ability, I think, from what you've said and from what I've seen, to win all sorts of games. Mm-hmm. They're not just, you know, if someone kind of tries to shut them down, they're equally capable of kind of grinding out a win. Yeah. Um, which is brilliant. Well done. I think just the fact that it goes back to what we were saying about the island game, just enjoying it. Those those fans are so... Fearless in Devotion is a good name. Yeah. Those fans are so devoted that if they're having some fun right now, uh, yeah, they're good on them. They're going to make the most of it, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Swansea, a little bit more hit and miss. Mm-hmm. And... Whilst they had some great results at the start of the year, and they're still capable of getting some good results, they're starting to maybe stutter a little bit just at the sheer number of games. And you know, it's a tough league, the Championship. Mm-hmm. They drew with Forest nil nil on the weekend, lost one nil to Stoke. Obviously, Joe Allen scored. Uh, from what the stills I've seen, what looked to be miles offside, I only saw the first half. Well, I thought they actually played well. That's my worry for the Swans, is the inconsistency. I think playoffs is a massive, huge, <clears throat> far-away ambition to an extent, just because of the, how thin the squad is. Mm-hmm. And I thought at the start of the year, maybe they proved me wrong, but the more the season's ticking over, and we are still at the early point of it, but maybe that lack of depth, mainly up front, is, is, is going to hinder them. They, they do seem kind of light up front, and they're going to struggle to score goals. And I think when you know you get a couple of bad decisions go your way, it's easy to kind of get pulled into the what's the word I'm looking for the the drag of it almost, mm-hmm. where it's another game, another game, another game. I think the championship is hard for that, but in terms of within a game, you look at how they battled through at Millwall and kept going Very true. ten men for so long. I'm less concerned in that sense, but I can see what you mean about the sort of attritional nature of it over the, over the whole season. They are pretty thin. Um, but equally, I'm, I mean, I don't want to speak for Swansea fans, so that's not fair, but in my view, I think if they have just like a good year with some, some spirit and some fun and some adventure and some stability to it that might be a win this season yeah and to be fair credit where it's due they are playing good football Mm -hmm. 
they are a fun team to watch. The way they kind of move the ball yeah. about when they do try and retain possession. And Potter deserves credit for that, for sticking to that kind of mm-hmm. philosophy, regardless of the of the challenges he faces. I think he's a brilliant manager, mate. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, I, I could, like we said, I do worry that they're going to struggle because of the thinness of the squad. But I think it's worth pointing out, they played a Forest side there, who spent a lot of money, mm-hmm. and I saw a statistic, <laughs> Newcastle played... Uh, Forest in the cup and Forest not net spend or anything like that just outright money spent mm-hmm. Forest spent more than Newcastle did right. and when you think that we're a Premier League club compared to a Championship club that's a huge huge statement mm-hmm. even if it is Newcastle um, I wonder whether it says more about Newcastle than I mean it does <laughs> but I mean you still think for a championship club yeah. to go out and spend I think the, the, the figure was something like 28 million or something they have spent a lot that's a summer. lot of money yeah, that. They, they, they've gone for it this summer um, so you know there's still decent points and decent results and, Swan, uh, and Stoke have come down and retained a lot of players and, and still spent as well mm-hmm. so you know they're not kind of bad results I just worry if this is maybe a sign of things to come where they'll win a few and lose a few win a few lose a few they'll maybe struggle to be consistent throughout the year just because of the lack of depth in the squad um, speaking of lack of consistency Newport have just been all over the show um, to lose 6-0 to, was it Yeovil? I think it was Yeovil to, to lose 6-0 to Yeovil is an unbelievable result and second loss in a, in a few days I said at the start of the year that a part of the the thing they were going through was trying to change it to a more kind of fluent passing side and, and the, you know, you're going to have blips mm-hmm. in doing that. But to lose 6-0, it's quite a worrying mm-hmm. sign. Yeah, I think at the minute it's too early to know whether there's a trend or you or their trend is up and down, up and down, up and yeah. down. Um, because equally they've been as good as they've been bad, haven't they? Yeah, I think that's fair. And and their position in the table is solid, so I think you have to, you have to, at the minute, you have to say it's on the positive side. But I don't disagree with you that it's it's cons- the variability is concerning. Yeah. I mean, they are third in the league, mm-hmm. and they well, actually, they're joint second, so it's not a bad mm-hmm. position to be in, I suppose. And again, I'm not worried about them. I think they'll do fine in that division. Just losing six nil. Oh, that is a is a bit of a a bit of a red flag, mm-hmm. I guess. Um, on to Cardiff. Mm-hmm. Um, I saw Jason Mohammed and Chris Sutton <laughs> yelling over each other uh, on 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 Twitter the other day, which is one of the most embarrassing things I've seen uh, two supposedly professional uh, journalists do. Um, but I think they were, in a bizarre way, kind of made interesting points mm-hmm. in that people wrote Cardiff off because of their lack of spend, perceived lack of ambition in doing so. I didn't see it as a lack of ambition, but I can understand why people saw that. But the argument that they've got a good team spirit and that'll see them right is nonsense when, you, when you're seeing what they're actually coming up against. Um, I think they have acquitted themselves well in a fairly tough run of, uh, of games. Yeah. However... I wonder if come the end of the year they'll look at games against Huddersfield and Newcastle mm-hmm. played for at least half an hour in both of those games 
against ten men and not think there's four points dropped mm. there. I don't disagree with that. The Especially against Huddersfield. I think they're probably overall, I feel, performing better than perhaps the points suggest. But the irony is they're performing better in the games where they're actually less likely to take points in the Chelsea and Arsenal games and not well enough, in, as you to. say, in the sort of Newcastle-Huddersfield games. It's easy to get yourself going, though, isn't it? Do you know what I mean? Arsenal come to town or you're going away yeah. to Stamford Bridge. It's easy to get yeah. yourself going for that. But at the start of the year, a lot of the talk was, can you see three teams that are worse than Cardiff? And maybe there's not an obvious list, but are they playing that much worse than Huddersfield? Dare I say Newcastle? No, no absolutely, absolutely. You know, Burnley, Burnley, I feel, will probably turn things around. I think looking at the bottom West end of the Ham table... will probably turn yeah. things around. But I don't think Burnley will turn things around. There's enough, worth, but, but I'm not sure they're going to get in the bottom three. I think they might. But like I say, there's enough mess down there that you could envisage a scenario where there are three teams that score less points than Cardiff. I think there'll be enough teams around there for Cardiff to be like in it, mm-hmm. like sort of thing, for a long enough time. I don't think there are three worst teams in the Cardiff. I, I'm not sure, and I say that, and I'm not trying to be negative. I've watched, I've, I've watched all but one of their games so far. I've saw them live against Betis in a preseason game. I'm not just saying it, but very soon I think the buzz and whatever of being in the Premier League and playing Arsenal, Chelsea wears off, and all of a sudden you've got to go to not glamorous places. And you've got to churn out a result. And I just don't see him doing it. Mm-hmm. And here we are. And, and for what it's worth, I'm not just saying that, you know, before people start tweeting me. <laughs> I, I think Newcastle are in massive trouble this year as well. I think we may go down. I think we are looking at it, Rafa Benitez, or otherwise one of the three worst teams in the division. Yeah. I think we might be the third worst. <laughs> with, And then you're looking at your Burnleys, uh, Brightons, whatever. But I just... I think Burnley, uh, Huddersfield have got enough nous to be better than Cardiff mm-hmm. because they've been there before. Brighton are actually picking up enough points to be better than Cardiff. And again, I'm not saying we'll stay up, but I think we are, through the course of a year, going to be uh, better, good enough to pick up enough points to be better than Cardiff. We being Newcastle. Me being Newcastle, sorry, yeah. Um, but equally, you could see the dice going the other way. i tell you why I can't is because... And again, I'm, I'm sorry to be Newcastle-centric, but I, and I mean this purely because I think we're not very good, is up front, we've got Salomon Rondon, mm-hmm. who's a proven Premier League goal scorer. He's not going to get you 20 goals a year. He'll probably get us 10 this year. He's a Venezuelan international. He's played at a high level a lot of his life. Cardiff striking options are lads who've come up with him from the Championship, and I mean no slight on anyone from the Championship. I don't think they're as good. Mm-hmm. Our wide players... People like Matt Ritchie, Kennedy, I think are, are very solid players. And as much as Mendes Lang's a good player, is he going to turn it? You know, turn up to set the world alight. I don't know. I don't years. Mm-hmm. Murphy the same. Um, looking across them midfield, Camarasa I think is a great player. I, I really like him. He's going to win games on his own. He's not that sort of player. Arter is a bit of a plodder. Again, I think he's a, he's a good addition yeah. to their squad. But I don't think it's about a roll of a dice or luck. I think it's about, in the end, the quality tells in the Premier League. And I, and I just, 
and I'm sorry, Cardiff fans, I really, really am. But I just don't I just don't see where they're getting consistent wins in the Premier League. I mean it's hard to make a case that they are. I'm just not I'm not quite as convinced that there isn't a mess of five or six pretty mediocre teams down there and you never know what might fall out. I think that's fair. And I I don't a lot of people are saying they're gonna be like Derby, I think it was, who went down with twelve points. Four of them are against Newcastle. Um, <laughs> I don't think they're going to be that sort of side. No. And there's enough crap down there that I think they'll be okay for a long enough time to make it a, a you know a worthwhile mm-hmm. battle. They're not going to be down at Christmas sort of thing. But I think eventually, mm-hmm. I just don't see where it's happening. That's a really I shouldn't have done it that way, should I? That's a sad <laughs> end. And we do have to end everybody because with Haley staying involved, this is going to be about an hour and a half. <laughs> I, oh, I don't I don't want to end there but we have to Ethan Aberdeen signed a new contract yes five years with Chelsea there you go Ethan Aberdeen what do we make of contract. that I think that's great mainly because of the people who said he doesn't touch the ball enough <laughs> what a load of crap that is if ever I've heard nonsense uh, that is it what a load of bollocks uh, I think he's a great player and the fact he's Chelsea won him there for a long time I bet there's a probably a fairly hefty release clause in there mm-hmm. um I think that's brilliant. He's going to be... I spoke to a friend of mine, Matt Red, uh, of the Barry Horns, and he said he genuinely thinks one day Ethan Ampadu might become the most expensive footballer in the world. And do you know what? <laughs> Legitimately, I can see it. I think that's it's mental to say, but I mm-hmm. think it's a quite a fair comment. That's quite a good one to end on. We'll end on that one. Okay, we'll stop you there. Well, thank you very much for listening, everybody. Please follow us on Facebook, Twitter, uh, read our blogs on WordPress. uh, And again, thank you very much for listening. Good night. Good night.